morning, friends. Great to be reading God's Word to you this morning. We're reading from Acts chapter 18. There it is. Um, So for those in church, using the church Bibles, that's page 1,112. For those online, probably a couple of clicks in the app and you'll get there. Acts chapter 18, verses 1 to 17, and this is the Word of God. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. There he met a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had ordered all Jews to leave Rome. Paul went to see them, and because he was a tent maker, as they were, he stayed and worked with them. Every Sabbath, he reasoned in the synagogue, trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. When Silas and Timothy came from Macedonia, Paul devoted himself exclusively to preaching, testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Messiah. But when they opposed Paul and became abusive, he shook out his clothes in protest and said to them, Your blood be on your heads, on your own heads. I am innocent of it. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. Then Paul left the synagogue and went next door to the house of Titius Justus, a worshipper of God. Crispus, the synagogue leader, and his entire household believed in the Lord, and many of the Corinthians who heard Paul believed and were baptised. One night the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision. Do not be afraid, keep on speaking, do not be silent, for I am with you and no one is going to attack and harm you, because I have many people in this city. So Paul stayed in Corinth for a year and a half, teaching them the word of God. While Gallio was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews of Corinth made a united attack on Paul and brought him to the place of judgment. This man, they charged, is persuading the people to worship God in ways contrary to the law. Just as Paul was about to speak, Gallio said to them, if you Jews were making a complaint about some misdemeanor or serious crime, It would be reasonable for me to listen to you, but since it involves questions about words and names and your own law, settle the matter yourselves. I will not be a judge of such things. So he drove them off. Then the crowd there turned on Sosthenes, the synagogue leader, and beat him in front of the proconsul, and Gallio showed no concern, whatever. This is the word of the Lord. For reading for us. Uh, please keep Acts chapter 18 open, whether you're in the building here or uh, at home watching online. That'll be helpful to us all, I'm sure. I'll pray, then we'll get underway. Uh, Heavenly Father, we recognize our need to persevere and our um, struggle to do that at times. We pray that you'd even help us persevere uh, today, this morning, that we might hear what you would have to say to us and that we would benefit from it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, I don't know about you, but I feel tired. <laughs> Could just be that it's uh, the back half of November and it's been a long slog this year, hasn't it? Um, being at home with the boys during the long lockdown with kind of low-level squabbles about screen time and homework whilst trying to get on with my own work. Well, lots of us are kind of familiar with that experience. But I don't think it's just that. And I don't think it's 
physical fatigue either. I mean, I don't go to bed too late. I get enough hours. I eat pretty well and I exercise plenty. I think it's more spiritual than physical. And I think at times the Christian life can just feel kind of tiring. You know, it's an examined life, isn't it? Where we're constantly, consistently evaluating our thoughts, our motives, our desires, our behaviours. And it's an outward life and an upward life where we consistently reorient our thoughts and our deeds around God's will for our lives and also the needs of others. I just think that can be tiring. And there are times where I daydream about living an unexamined life, where I don't think about anyone other than myself and my immediate family and what we're going to do on the weekend and where we're going to go on holiday next. America is experiencing something at the moment called the Great Resignation, where up to 40% of the US workforce is considering leaving their jobs, moving on. Now, Mark McCrindle of McCrindle Research in Australia thinks the Great Resignation will hit our shores about next March, assuming that we continue to beat a path out of the coronavirus cloudiness of the past two years. Sometimes I think it feels like there's a great resignation from the Christian faith. We have a general sense of weariness and um, maybe looking for something else, but we're not quite sure. Well, let me say today's passage combats any such resignation and fatigue and puts before us an energising vision of persisting as Christian people and persisting in our mission to make disciples of the Lord Jesus among all nations. So if you're the kind of person who this morning needs a cuddle or like a cup of Earl Grey, this passage might just do it for you. If you're the kind of person here this morning that really needs to kick up the pants, equally, this passage might just do it for you. We are in the second last week of our Beyond series, charting the progress of the gospel beyond Jerusalem in these middle chapters of Acts. Uh, really, as we consider proclaiming the good news of Jesus in Manly and beyond. That's why we've called it Beyond. Well, the Apostle Paul today is in Corinth. We're in Acts chapter 18. His story will impress upon us the need to persevere over time, through opposition, and with friends. So I hope today is a really encouragement to you, to us all really, to persevere with both the Christian faith and Christian mission over time, through opposition, and with friends. And so the first thing we need to see is the need to persevere over time. And I guess if you think about it, that's what persevere means, doesn't it? You just keep doing what you're meant to be doing over time. You don't give up when it gets tricky. You press on through all the ups and downs until you achieve your goals, fulfill your purpose, whatever it is, over time. And we actually see this in the first two words of the passage, which is open before you. I really hope it is open before you. You need to have it open before you. Acts chapter 18, verse 1, after this. First two words, after this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. You know, friends, every single word of Scripture has got something to teach us, every single word. That's why you've got to have your Bibles open before you, especially in church. It's, it's a habit we've got to get back into. And I don't want you to just trust me on it. I want you to read it for yourself. First two words, Acts chapter 18, verse 1, after this. Significant two words because they show us that the Apostle Paul didn't give up after the lackluster response to probably his best sermon ever in the Athenian Areopagus, which Nathan shared with us last week. Literally the performance of his lifetime. But a few people believe. A few polite hand claps is all. 
<laughs> it's like you've cooked your best dish ever and the critics say you need more sauce. You need more salt. A six out of ten. You know, deflating. Paul delivers a knockout speech in Athens in Acts chapter 17. Only a few people believe. As far as we know, no Athenian church, certainly no letter to the Athenians, like there is a letter to the Philippian church or a letter to the Thessalonian church. And yet, Acts chapter 18, verse 1, we have an after this. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. In two words, you get a great picture of perseverance over time, don't you? Through ups and downs. And really, in this whole middle third of the book of Acts, it's a great picture of perseverance. You know, you can have the the warm, wholehearted response in towns like Antioch or Berea. Then you have the cold indifference of a place like Athens. But after this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. In fact, if you scan through this passage, you'll see a number of time markers mentioned from Paul's stay in Corinth. For example, read with me closely uh, verse 4. Every Sabbath, he reasoned in the synagogue, trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. You see, every Sabbath, he's there in the synagogue, the Jewish gathering place in this pagan city, reasoning with Jews and God-fearing Greeks alike. It's a picture of perseverance. He's there every Sabbath. Do you know, they, they say half of being successful is just turning up and being better than average. Well, Paul is doing that every Sabbath. And you'll remember that's his consistent approach in every town. He first goes to the Jewish synagogue, to his countrymen. Uh, Usually it doesn't work out well, and yet he persists. Here in Corinth, he works all week long on his trade as a tent maker, so that on the weekend, he can persevere without pay, reasoning in the synagogue every Sabbath. And you know, even that phrase, trying to persuade, is written in the imperfect tense, which just means that it's not complete, right? The job is not done. It indicates his ongoing perseverance. You see there another time marker in verse 11. So Paul stayed in Corinth a year and a half, teaching them the word of God. It's not like a lightning tour. When he's allowed to stay, when they are not trying to kill him, he stays. And you can see another time marker in verse 18. Uh, Paul stayed on in Corinth for some time. He just keeps going. Well, I don't have my space pen with me today. It's in the... um, in the office drawer but I do have another story from space for you in July uh, 2020 last year NASA launched a a car-sized rover to the planet Mars to explore the Jezero crater looks like this and you can't buy one by the way it successfully landed on Mars in February this year it has more robust wheels than its predecessor it has an enhanced heat shield than its predecessor and it has a robotic arm that is longer and stronger than its predecessor everything it seems to me that you need to negotiate the ups and downs of a martian crater here's what i think is the best part about it it's called the perseverance percy for short here's the even better bit as far as i'm concerned it took over from the curiosity rover so it seems to me that curiosity can only get you so far right you need something called perseverance that's more robust, that's got a thicker skin to take you further over all the ups and downs over time. Well, speaking of ups and downs, the second thing we need to see is the need for perseverance through opposition. 
And I guess that's what really makes perseverance perseverance, isn't it? <laughs> Otherwise, it's just a long stroll. Well, there, there's different forms of opposition in today's passage, today's story. You can see it emerging first in relation to Priscilla and Aquila. They're a husband and wife team of tent makers and evangelists. But you can see there, verse 2, they've been expelled from Rome under the order of Emperor Claudius, along with all the other Jews. Now, what's uh, not at first instant obvious, and we know this from a Roman historian called Suetonius, is that the Jews were expelled from Rome because the Christians among them were proclaiming Christ, or in Suetonius's words, instigating Christ. So it's actually much more likely that it was gospel proclamation that got them kicked out of Rome. But nevertheless, political opposition. Now, hold on, because there's a, a really pleasant little end note to that story. But along with Roman political opposition, there was the usual, by now, Jewish religious opposition. Silas and Timothy rejoined the party from Macedonia. Uh, it looks like they might have brought some financial backing with them in verse 5, because Paul could leave the tent-making to one side for a bit, devote himself full-time to speaking, where he testified to Jews that Jesus was the Messiah. You remember last week, to the Greek Athenian philosophers... Paul quoted Greek poets to support his biblical argument. To the Jews, he appeals to their Bible-based longing for a coming of Messiah, for a coming Messiah, I should say, and he says Jesus is that person. Again, the Jews don't like this message, but, but notice the ferocity of the language. They oppose verse, uh, Paul, verse 6, and abuse him to the point where he kind of dramatically shakes out his clothes so that not even a speck of synagogue dust remains on him, and he says, your blood be on your own heads. So theatrical, isn't it? So dramatic. And then he walks out, and then walks into Justice's house right next door. And Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue that he just got kicked out of, along with his whole household, believe in the Lord Jesus. I mean, how cheeky is that? Don't you reckon God's got a sense of humour? I reckon he does. But you see there, um, Jewish opposition becomes more organised later, during Paul's stay in Corinth, during the time of Gallio's administration of the town. Verse 12, it says, They made a united attack upon the Apostle Paul. They attempt to show Gallio that Paul not only contravened Jewish religion by proclaiming that Jesus is the Messiah, but that in doing so, he broke Roman law. Because what Paul was in effect doing we're starting a new religion, a so-called religio illicita, a non-authorised religion, which you weren't allowed to do. And Gallio, he's not interested. He goes, you guys sort your own junk out. And he's not even interested when the next synagogue ruler, called Sosthenes, who also became a, a Christian, gets beaten up by a mob right in front of him. Now, that indifference looks terrible to us. But actually, there is a delightful little endnote or postscript to this story. Because Gallio's indifference here was a great triumph for Christian ministry and mission. Because it meant the gospel could now be proclaimed in Roman provinces without fear of breaking Roman law. Uh, effectively, Christianity had a status of religio licita, a legitimate religion. And that was a, effectively now imperial policy. And it would remain so for the next 10 to 12 years until it was brutally reversed under Emperor Nero. So there's just a little reminder there, isn't there, that God was doing his thing all the while, and yet even that doesn't take away from the fact 
that the opposition from the Jews was real, it was organised and it was abusive. And the Apostle Paul persevered through. Well, we've seen the need for perseverance over time, clearly. We've seen the need for perseverance through opposition and adversity. But lastly, I want you to notice perseverance or the need for perseverance with friends. Alongside the protective power of God in our lives, it's the presence of friends who give us the courage, the energy, the encouragement to just persevere as Christians and also with the task of gospel proclamation and Christian mission. And again, you can see that in today's passage through the presence of Priscilla and Aquila, this, the apostles' fellow tent makers. They stayed together. They worked together. You imagine they also gospeled together, given what we learn about Priscilla and Aquila later on in the chapter. And then even better, when Silas and Timothy returned from Macedonia, uh, I, I think with a positive report of the churches there, like in Philippi and Thessalonica and Berea, and perhaps also with the financial backing that frees Paul up. Well, one writer put it like this, sustained by a new friendship, heartened by the good news Silas and Timothy brought back. Paul triumphed over his weakness, turned from the dissident synagogue, and under the shadow of Roman authority, established the church in the wickedest of Greek towns. Wow, what a turnaround. But you have to wonder whether it was the friendship of Priscilla, Aquila, Timothy, Silas and the new converts that humanly speaking made it possible to persevere at all. Don't you? Many of you will know that I like bicycles and bicycle racing. Uh, Cycling, it's a sport that has its fair share of, uh, let's call them quirky characters. One of my favourite quirky characters from the world of cycling in recent years is a German guy called Jens Voigt. This is what he looks like. Always races with his kind of mouth open, gasping for air. He was famous for not having any particular strength. This is why I like him. He's like me, right? He described himself as Joe Average with only two talents, one of which was eating. The other was just pushing on during difficult races. He was a real bike races racer. He didn't pay attention to all the scientific data at his disposal. He raced on instinct, raced with heart, really one for the purists. But he had this kind of funny German matter-of-fact way of speaking about persevering through difficulties that gave him a cult following. I'm going to try my German accent. So famously he said, when my legs hurt, I say, shut up legs. Do what I tell you to do. If it hurts me, it must hurt the other ones twice as much. Every time I race, I race so fiercely, my legs cry. After 120 kilometers, my body said, ooh, ooh, Yenzi, what were you thinking? I was thinking, as the quotes went on, it sounded more and more like Arnold Schwarzenegger, were you? (laughs) We had a German guy at 8 o'clock, he was sitting right there, He, he just looked up and he shook his head. And I couldn't tell under the mask whether he was smiling or just kind of crying. (laughs) What were you thinking? Less famously, but I think uh, as importantly as his mindset was his support base. So he said in plain English, your parents, family, team, coaches are the ones who will get you to where you are and will always be there for you. Now it seems to me you look at Jens Voigt's 
you just do his funny quotes, and you get the impression that he's this lone ranger, solitary, strong man. But he needed friends and a family and a team around him. You look at the Apostle Paul, he can seem like a lone ranger, solitary, strong man, but he needed friends. He needed a family, he needed a team around him. Can it be a surprise that if we're going to persevere in the Christian life and Christian mission, we might need friends and a new family and a team around us? And you know, I, I was thinking, I reckon this is why singing is so important to us. Why it feels like such a big deal when we're not allowed to sing. Why we, like the deprivation, we have a disproportionate reaction to it. And I think this is the reason why we do uh, well, speaking for me personally, I need to hear you sing and I need to hear you sing with me and I couldn't care less if you can't hold a, night, a note and some of you really can't hold notes. Because <laughs> if you don't sing, it makes me think you don't believe this gospel stuff all that much and that might have the effect of making me believe this gospel stuff not so much and I'm quite scared of where that will take me. It's so good to be able to do that together this morning, isn't it? For people at home, like when it's safe for you to return, especially if it's dry, especially if there's a hamburger after the service, but actually neither of those things are that important, I'm asking you to return. I'm asking you to stand next to me. And I want us all to sing with glorious, unmelodic and noisy abandon not only in praise to our wonderful God and great Saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ, but also as a battle cry against the gates of hell, that we are coming armed with the word of God and the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and even the gates of hell will not prevail against us. But I need you to stand and sing with me with great vigour because it helps me to persevere. And I reckon it does the same for you. Now, in our congregational meetings, everything helps, doesn't it? You know, praying together, fellowshipping over coffee, listening to the word of God read to us. It all, it's all important. And just as important as our congregational meetings, our smaller meetings, our growth groups and the like, they're going to be keen little vessels of perseverance, I reckon, little engines that could. Do you know when they do studies of these things, they find that people in small groups read their Bibles more, not just in groups and on Sundays. They pray more, not just in groups and on Sundays. And they share their faith more than people not in groups. It's intriguing, isn't it? But it makes sense to me because in groups you learn to talk about your faith, don't you? In fact, you, you practice talking about spiritual things. You get comfortable sharing about what God is doing in your life on Sundays. You just got to listen to me. But in groups, you learn to listen to others. And you push and you probe and you inquire and you answer. It seems to me that being in a group will help you persevere as a Christian, but also in your Christian witness. Now, friends, it only works if you go, doesn't it? And, uh, you know, they can be great ideas, but you've got to realise there's a, there's a cost. And the cost is you've actually got to turn up to your group. Uh, and you're only to turn up to your group if you realise that that means on a Wednesday night you're going to have to uh, 
maybe leave work early with the stress that involves, push through peak hour traffic after a stressful day, help with dinner and the kids and with bedtime and then race out the door to your group when you could have had a much easier, uh, nice evening in. There is a cost to going to a group, certainly a cost if you're leading the group or hosting the group, but I reckon there's also a cost in not going, isn't there? Isn't there? It's going to be harder to persevere. So I realise at the back end of November, it's a difficult time to be revving up groups. But I would say, go to your groups, and next year when they start up again, get into a group and go to it then. But before we finish, I want to give just a final encouragement to persevere. And uh, we see it in both a movement from God and a word from above. After the drama of Paul's exit from the synagogue, you know, the shaking, the dust from his robes, the your blood be on your own heads... The move next door to Justice's place. There's another move, but this one is a move from God. Read with me in verse 8. Crispus, epic name. Crispus, the synagogue leader, and his entire household believed in the Lord. And many of the Corinthians who heard Paul believed and were baptized. I mean, why, why persevere in the Christian life and in Christian mission? Partly because God is going to do what he wills through your work. That might be in what might seem a meager return for your efforts, like it was in Athens, at least initially. Although Nathan reminded us that God continues to do mighty works through Paul's seminal speech there to this very day. Or it might be in a more substantial outcome, like here in Corinth, you know, a town famous for its greed and pride, the worship of Poseidon, the god of the sea, the visitation of prostitutes. So Crispus, the leader of the synagogue from which Paul has just been ejected, turns to Jesus. And many in this town turn from Poseidon and prostitutes to belief and are baptised. When we persevere in our belief and in our witness, both individually and as a gathered community, God does his thing and people turn to Jesus. And in fact, it is the Lord Jesus himself who appears to Paul in a vision in verse 9 to confirm it all. Now, you'll remember way back in Acts chapter 9, Jesus appears to Paul in a vision before he becomes a Christian and says, Stop! Like, you stop now. Stop persecuting my people. Here in Acts chapter 18, Jesus again appears to Paul in a vision and he says the opposite. You keep going. You keep on speaking. My people need to hear your words, even though some of them don't even know that they're my people yet. I'm with you, Paul, verse 10. No one will harm you. Now, that is not a universal command. But here in verse 10, no one will harm you. I have many people in this city. Do not be afraid. Do not be silent. Do not give up. As we've just sung, we see the battle. God sees the victory. And so, brothers and sisters, as we finish, I just think this is a great, a great passage for us today, especially if, like me, you're feeling tired, if you've ever been tempted to daydream about living an unexamined and self-absorbed life, because the witness of the Apostle Paul in Corinth and the working of Jesus through him is an energizing reminder of the need to persevere. Of course, it is a long haul that requires us to press on over time, over ups and downs, as well as through opposition. Surely it remains true, whether it's by the coast here in Manly 
or in the West at Marsden Park, that God is with us, that there are many of his people in this city, some of whom don't even know it yet, and that he wants us to keep going, to not be afraid, to not be silent, and to not give up. Well, let's pray to him now and ask for his help in all that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, at the end of a longish year, uh, we just bring to you our, our weariness, perhaps, our fatigue. We also uh, recognize our need to persevere in the Christian life and faith, but also in mission of proclaiming the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ in Manly and beyond. And so we do ask that you might energize us and that you might uh, place upon our hearts an ever-present reminder that you are with us and that we ought not be afraid, we ought not be silent, and we ought not give up. For the glory of Jesus we pray these things. Amen. Amen.